listening to Hungry for More, an Epicurean's Dilemma, and I'm your host, Trish Gloss. Today's episode is sponsored by The Culinarium, Gourmet Provisions, and Fine Kitchenware. Shelly Chapman on the podcast today. Name ring a bell? I interviewed this fantastic human a year ago, April 2022, if you want to go take a look or a listen. She has the Mindful Plate Show on YouTube, and she's Shelly Wellness on Instagram. Go look her up. And speaking of her YouTube channel, when we talked last year, she was around 2,000 subscribers. This year, she's at 12,000 subscribers, nearly 12,000. So we talk a lot about that growth, where she thinks it came from and why, and really her reaction to that growth as she's trying to spread this message about being plant-based and really being more mindful when you're eating. She traveled a lot in the last year, so she talks about her trips, where she went, and the inspirations and what she learned on those trips and what she brought back home. One of her favorite recipes that she just posted recently, vegan mozzarella cheese. Uh, She talks about where that inspiration came from. I love it. We're both cheese lovers. So she talks about that and how to fill that sweet tooth if you're trying to be more mindful, if you're trying to be a little healthier, how to fill the sweet tooth. You know, I love talking to Shelly because she always gives me these points that I really think about, I really chew on. And one of them is mindful eating how to get rid of the control, that word, it's a dirty word for Shelly, and really how to eat with intent. Here's Shelly Chapman, love this girl. Maybe one of my favorite things about doing this podcast is meeting people like you, because I didn't know about you really before I interviewed you, and then when I found out about you, I started following you, and I'm liking all your stuff on social, and I'm like, I feel like I have this um, ally out there. Do you do you get that? Yeah, I totally get that. I totally get that. That's the fun thing about um, media in that sense is like you get to interview or meet all these people that you don't know, but you need them for the story, right? And then you get the story and you're like, oh, I, I love the work and the person behind this. Like, let's connect. <laughs> Absolutely. Shelly Chapman, welcome back to the podcast. I am so excited you're here. Um, We did an interview a year ago. Yes. Isn't that crazy to think about? It is crazy because it's right before I cut my hair too. I look back at that interview and I was like, oh my God, my tresses were like. (laughs) I'm going to ask you about your hair actually. Um, Oh yeah. uh, Shelly Chapman, Shelly Wellness on YouTube. Uh, you are no, Shelly Wellness on Instagram, the mindful plate on YouTube. Thank you for correcting me. The mindful plate on YouTube, Shelly Wellness on Instagram, um, mindful plate show. You have almost 12,000 subscribers on YouTube. And then that's higher. That's amazing. And when we start, when we had the interview, I think I had like maybe 2000. So what a difference a year makes, but I've been at it. I'm so excited. And you know, you told me last time we talked a lot about social media. I'm going to ask you about it later on in this interview. Um, But you said one thing that's so stuck out to me, and I've passed it along to so many people. If you see success, especially in our sisters, right? The women out there who are seeing and having success, it means that you can have it too. And I see that with you. I'm like, oh my gosh, I I can do it too then. Yes, exactly. Because why not? Why not you? Exactly. Okay. So I interviewed you last April, 2022. We talked so much about not really nutrition, but like food and our connections with food and how this, our head is so very connected to our gut. So you just really opened my eyes to a lot of things. Um, 
you also made the distinction, and I want you to explain this again today. You're plant-based, although a lot of stuff we see, you know, that you post with recipes does say vegan because I think that lends kind of a definition of what's included in the recipe, but you really are a plant-based really wellness. It's all about wellness and nutrition for you. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, vegan is a term I use because for me, it's not about label. I could care less, right? But I recognize that in this time that we're in, vegan is the word that people are Googling and searching for when they're looking for food within that genre. Plant-based takes veganism to another level. Veganism can be eating a Beyond or an Impossible Burger at Burger King and you're having a vegan meal. Mm -hmm. Plant-based is really what the name says. Your meal is based in plants. And so plants are at the center. So it's not that I don't enjoy meat-like food substitutes, but my meat substitutes are made from jackfruit oyster mushrooms, uh, chickpeas, black eyed peas. Like I'm using the fruits of the earth to create these substitutes that my taste buds desire. And I find that plant-based also opens up um, your access because when you're vegan, you can still, still be caught up in what is produced in a plant factory, i.e. your processed chips, your processed cookies, even though they're labeled vegan. When you are plant-based, you're moving outside of the plant factories and you're moving into the plant farms, you're moving into earth. And so that's the distinction for me. And I find that like a lot of us, when we go on this, you know, vegan, vegetarian, plant-based journey, we start with what we know. We go to the grocery store and we're like, oh, there's a vegan egg and there's a vegan milk and there's, you know, we're just substituting all the things. But for me, what I found was even within those substitutes, my health wasn't really drastically changing, right? I might've felt a little lighter, but I was also feeling sometimes a little weird because I'm adding a lot more chemicals and processed stuff into my diet. And um, I mean, at any age, I don't think that's great, but as we age, we feel it. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's funny because we were, um, we were looking for some sort of like substitute, I guess, for our morning coffee. And I mean, good luck. Seriously, like, like looking for things, there's, there was a mushroom creamer. I don't know if you I know saw that. that. Okay. I know what you're talking about. Yep. Yeah. And I, I love that there are companies out there that are really honestly trying to provide substitutions. However, you have to put stuff in the, in the substitution. So to preserve it and those preservatives are typically what kind of don't make you feel so hot to preserve it, to give you the texture, to give you the taste. Mm -hmm. And so I think like at this point, I've been in this game for like, when I say this game, I'm talking about this plant-based eating game for um, over a decade. So my taste buds have drastically shifted and um, I no longer crave the meaty taste. In the beginning, I do think it's helpful. Like if you're starting and today's your first day, one, welcome to the team, congratulations. But also I get it, right? Like yesterday you were eating burgers, today you want a burger, but you say you don't want the cow. Okay, cool, we're gonna go get an impossible. That's gonna be the closest tasting thing. However, I think it's a transition food. And what happens is a lot of people end up getting stuck there. And so, and when they get stuck there, they don't know what else to do. Um, And so my uh, YouTube channel, The Mindful Plate, I show you, cool. So you want to use plants instead of the, you know, the chemical processing plant. Let me show you how to use plants from the farm, from the garden, and then literally create that. I just made a mozzarella cheese the other day. I wrote that down. I wrote that down. We're going to talk about it. 
Okay, okay. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's possible. I'm just saying that it's possible. And um, what, what you, not only does it taste amazing, but you also feel the difference in your body. And I think what I love about the mindful plate is that you're taking control right? You're not, you're not buying that vegan bag of chips. You're taking control of what you're putting. Not only, not only the things that you're cooking in your kitchen, but what you're putting in your body, the control is now up to you, really no one else. And you know what? I would even shift it. And the reason why I say I would shift the word control to being more mindful is because the word control for those of us who have experienced disordered eating or eating disorders. And in my case, I've experienced both. I've experienced um, compulsive overeating and then also just a lot of emotional eating. Hello, 2020. Um, <laughs> but for those of us who've experienced that, the word control can kind of be a triggering word, right? Because at one point we're trying to control our plates, control our food. And at this point, it's like release control, but just be mindful. So if I, what, what is the most mindful decision that I can make when it comes to my meal. And it is more mindful for me when you think about chips, like let's say we love a good tortilla chips and like dip, right? Mm -hmm. So instead of buying Doritos, which is what I used to buy, the more mindful decision is like Trader Joe's has these really good um, um, black bean tortilla chips that I'll make. And then another mindful decision is I could buy tortillas and then cut them up and air fry them, right? So so it's really about um, what is, what is the most mindful way that you can eat this thing that you love without giving it up. Is it fair to say eating with intent? I love it. Yeah, okay. absolutely. So yeah, yeah that, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, since mm -hmm. we last chatted, I feel like you traveled everywhere. Did you? Uh -huh. I've been to Panama City, Panama. I've been to Lisbon, Portugal, uh, Johannesburg, South Africa, Accra, Ghana, and Nairobi, Kenya. I spent six months of last year away and just traveling. I spent a month in each place. Good for you. How was it? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Liberating, lovely. It's as I, I come to realize it's kind of been a trend in my life. This isn't the first time I've done that. Whenever I've made making a major shift in my life, I will leave the United States and go travel in a different country um, and spend about a minimum of like four to six weeks there. So the first time I did this was I went to Brazil in 2008 um, and then I've done it again several times. And so what I found that it does for me is it forces me to operate outside of my comfort, outside of my routine, and it forces me to trust in a process that I really have no idea about. Because when you travel, yes, you can plan. But there are so many variables that you don't have contr control over. <laughs> yes. And so it teaches me adaptability, flexibility. So when I return to the U.S., I feel like I return with a new set of tools to help me adjust to the new transformation I'm making. I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, well, a couple questions with your travels. But we just made a really quick trip to Arizona. And I am very mindful about about diet. And I, I try to, especially when I'm traveling, because, you know, with in an airport, in a plane, doing all this stuff that already, I think, affects your body and affects your system. Right. Totally. So yeah. very mindful about what I'm putting in my stomach. How how do you eat? How do you stay? And I know you said you do make adjustments here and there, but mm -hmm. traveling, especially in an airport, how do you stay on task? Well, so for me, um, when I'm traveling, I'm generally traveling for a long period of time, right? Yeah. So when I get to the country, it's a lot easier because I'm renting an Airbnb. I'm cooking and doing a lot of cooking for myself. In the traveling piece in the airport, 
I have to remind myself sometimes, you are not going to starve. <laughs> you don't eat today. Like, so like meaning um, sometimes, you know, you might spend, especially on long international trips, you can spend up to 12 hours, right? Yeah. So what I tend to do is make sure I have a very fulfilling breakfast. And then I also pack snacks. I will, I will say this, I find traveling internationally, I find that I get a lot more, a lot better options in the airport than I do when I'm here in the United States. So I have less worry about that. Um, but in the event that I, I am in an airport where there's not really anything favorable for me to eat, I always have a good old peanut butter and jelly sandwich packed up. You know, like I'll, I'll have some nuts packed up. Like I'll always have a snack in there. And I'll remind myself that if for whatever reason I didn't get to eat, you're not going to starve. When you get in place, there'll be food for you. <laughs> I think that's I think that's a very good point because you do see in airports it's like it could be their last meal. Yeah. Right? Yeah. It's like Yeah, exactly. Calm down. <laughs> calm down. It's not that serious. You're gonna get fed. <laughs> <laughs> Something else too that I do, I fuel up on water and hydrating foods before I leave. Cause try, I don't know about you, but do you get dehydrated when you're in a plane? Big time. Oh my God. I don't know what's happening up in the air, but it's like sucking the, the juice out of us. Mm -hmm. So I will focus on eating watermelon, melons, um, um, mainly melons and watermelon because they're very juicy, cucumber and drinking lots and lots of water before coconut water, especially before I travel because I find that that gets me less dehydrated because I feel like there's not enough water you can ask a flight attendant for to bring you back to normal. So true. Ours, <laughs> I think ours, the longest trip we had, um, she just gave us the bottle. She's like, here. Like, Hello, hey, I've had that. Thank I've, you. Cause she's like, I'm tired of you. I'm tired of you ringing this bell. <laughs> Asking me for water. Get out of here. Um, How dare you. I think I know the answer to this question, but did you learn, what did you learn nutrition wise? food-wise on these trips? Like so much? Oh my much. God. So, okay. So <laughs> one thing I learned and I start, so my first trip was Panama and then, and then Lisbon, and then I did my Africa tour, right? So what I learned first off was that my body responds so much differently to eating the fruits and vegetables in those countries than it did here which made me start thinking about the way that we produce fruits and vegetables. So not only that, but the land that our fruits and vegetables are growing on. What I mean by that is when I eat the fruits and vegetables overseas, I find that, and I'm eating the same amount. It's not like anything different. I found that one, a lot of them had seeds, number one. I did not have to look for watermelon with seeds. That was just pretty standard, which I loved. Um, and it made my digestive system so regular. When I'm here, I can eat the same amount of fruits and I don't find that my digestive system is as regular. It's almost as if the fruits and vegetables there were alive. And I don't feel that they have the same type of life enzymes here that they do there. Hmm. Also, a lot of the times I was buying directly from the market and at the market, they're coming straighter from the farm. Here, our stuff has gone through a chain of, of people and businesses and, 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 and uh, you know, um, processes that by the time you get it, it probably was picked way before it was ready. And so that's the other difference is that getting fruits and vegetables there, like in Portugal, a lot of the fruits and vegetables came from Spain. They had that like farmland there. They also have stuff in Portugal, but a lot came from Spain and Panama, a lot was coming from Panama. 
And then um, in Africa, in South Africa, Ghana, and Kenya, they were coming from those countries. And I also forgot I went to Peru. That was another country I went to after mm-hmm. Africa. And in Peru, same thing, they were coming from Peru. So I think what I'm also noticing is that eating local is really important. I used to think it was organic, organic, but we're getting organic and it's still coming from South America or Central America. So it's still being picked before it's ready to give. And I think that food is such a blessing. So the way I've seen it is that this earth came already um, packed with everything we needed. And if we allow earth to do its natural process and then only eat when earth says it's ready for us to eat, we can see so much of a difference in our health and our well-being. But because we've created processes that, that favor profit, we are choosing to forego the natural processes yeah. of earth. And we're now saying, okay, well, we're just going to pick this fruit before it's ready. We'll put it through some, we'll spray something, make it look pretty. We'll put it through its own little process and it'll be edible, right? We can eat it, but it's not giving us the life force energy that we need. And so I miss that the most. That's what I learned a lot is that local eating is, is part of the, 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 the inbuilt trade of those countries, right? Like that's how they shop. And then you're shopping more frequently, you're not going to Costco, Sam's Club, whatever, and getting food for the right. That's all in a box and it has no enzymes, no liberty is the word that I love. Um, Rastafarians use that word a lot, liberty, but I love it because it it embodies like the vitality and the liveliness that food can bring. So the, the food doesn't have any liberty here. And I think that's why we get constipated. That's why we don't feel as like energized, even though we're eating healthy. Right. Oh, I, so- I love that you brought this up, um, or we are talking about it. Uh, I just made some pico de gallo for Ooh. Cinco de Mayo, um, yes. but it it was it was painful for me because the tomatoes they're just not in season, right? And I do not eat tomatoes most of the year unless I can get them from a farmer's market because they're just not good. I'm sorry, everyone, they're just not good. But okay. I I feel that it's really hard. You just hit on it. We want to eat more plants, and we're very lucky in Southern Oregon. We have farmers markets all through the week. We have so many local farms. I just picked up some local spinach that literally was grown a few miles away from my house. It looks different. It cooks different. It tastes different. It's it's pretty amazing to see if you have access to that. I mean, and win win. We're supporting local farmers. That. Right. Sustaining a local economy. Exactly. Yeah. I, what you said about it looks and cooks different. Just that alone. And it lasts longer. Have you noticed that? Because yeah. you buy spinach in the store in a bag, you open that bag, you better believe in 2.2 seconds, the rest of the spinach is wilted. Like, what happened? Drives me crazy. The smell, <laughs> it gets like brown and then like the, ju- yes. the brown juice at the bottom. And I'm like, Ugh! are you kidding me? <laughs> and there's no going back. You cannot save it. No. Yeah. No, and you wasted all your coins. <laughs> exactly. Um, well, I think it's really interesting. Any recipes, any dishes that you brought back? Like, uh, I'm going to do that in my kitchen. Um, let me think. You know what's interesting? What I brought back more than recipes. Okay, so I, I spent a lot of my younger years collecting recipes. Mm-hmm. Um what I really focused on bringing back was the the way in which people were connected to the land. So I ate a lot of um, very simple foods 
like beans and rice, like whatever their vegetables were in the way that they make them. It, it was just, there is a way in which this, this trip in particular was not so much about eating at all the restaurants in the way it has been in the past. And a lot of that has to do with the transformation that I've been through, um, where I'm learning that we could, we could focus on recipes, but if we're still using the ingredients that don't create liberty and vitality and wellness in our lives, then what's the point? Mm -hmm. And so, um, for example, <laughs> when I was in South Africa in Johannesburg, um, I went to this restaurant and uh, South Africa is meat country. They have brides. Brides are what are called barbecues or would be what we would call a barbecue. They, it's that, it's, that's the culture. Meat is everywhere. So I went to a restaurant and I ordered samp and beans. Samp is kind of like a corn and it's mixed with beans. And then I ordered morogo, which is like... Um, um, like a spinach, but it's like pumpkin leaves. And I ordered pop. Pop is like grits or polenta. Now that's all I wanted, right? And she looked at me and she said, I don't, I don't, I don't understand what you're ordering. And I said, yeah, that's all I want. She said, but what are you going to eat with it? And I said, oh, that is what I'm eating. And we must've went back and forth for five minutes because she was like, you're not going to get any meat, any... And I said, no, because what happened is you get the meat and then those are the side dishes, right? Yeah. So you choose one of those, eat. And she's like, that's not like, and so she literally said, I have to go back to the chef and ask them if they can make this. And I'm thinking to myself, of course they can make it. They make it, they make it for the side. Right. But it was so beyond her for me to come and ask for just these sides. And I was explaining to her that I was plant-based. I don't eat, you know, meat, et cetera. And she's, she didn't understand. What do you eat? I said, this is what I eat. And so- you know, looking at the meal, it's corn, it's beans, it's greens. It's a complete, I got protein in there, I got starch, I got fiber. It's a complete meal to me. So she eventually brought it out, said that the chef could do it. Um, but that those were the sort of my experiences because in Ghana as well, in um, Peru, in, um, in Kenya, they're meat-centered, mm -hmm. Panama, Liz, like Portugal, they're meat-centered worlds. Um, Portugal had the most vegan experiences because maybe because it's Europe. Um, and so there, there's that, that movement is there. But what I really thought was interesting in Ghana and in South Africa was that there wasn't necessarily a vegan movement, but there were a few people who had like vegan concept restaurants. When I say few, I mean probably like two or three. But what I noticed is that in the actual part of the reason why a vegan movement may not necessarily be necessary is because in the traditional foods, there's so much plant-based foods. Meat just happens to be the center, but all the sides. So even if you take the meat away or if you don't have the money, say you come from a poor family, you're eating, right? Like plants already. So you don't call it vegan because for example, in Ghana, they had this meal, um, which I love. And um, why is the name leaving me now? Oh, wow. Anyways, it's like cooked spinach um, or greens with like tomatoes and onions. It's really, really delicious. And, you know, you could eat that with fufu or by itself or whatever. And that in itself is a meal, but it's completely vegan and plant-based. Right. There, there's a lot of things that I ate that were just part of the landscape because that was just their culture. Which is a beautiful thing. There, That reminds me of, I don't know if you've ever seen my big fat Greek wedding, but her... Okay. Her fiance is no like, meat. I'm, I'm vegetarian. They're like, you don't eat no meat. And then she goes, it's okay. I'll make you lamb. So <laughs> lamb. And everyone's like, right, that's the answer. I'm 
Like, yeah, no, that's that was I had a lot of experiences like that. Okay. And I understood it. But I also, for me, I use them as teaching opportunities, right? And I also get that I'm coming from a different place. Like maybe, maybe if I grew up in a place where the meat didn't feel contaminated, where when I ate it, I didn't feel like I had been poisoned, right? I wouldn't have that. Because for me, I didn't, I didn't not meet. And I did not eat meat because I was worried about animal welfare. I was worried about my own welfare first. Right. Now that I have not had meat for a long time, I've I've now seen how animals suffer and I have that compassion, but I still believe in eating meat as humans. I just think that the system in which we do it is not sustainable. But 1, if you're willing to percent, yeah. I'm cool. Go hunt. Go feed the village with the whole wild boar. I'm with it, right? Because it's one boar that is sacrificing its life. And the sacrifice is that its life continues in a spiritual sense in the community that eats it. So it doesn't really die. Yeah. Even though like it dies in that in that moment, but life is a continual process. And so even the plants, they sacrifice themselves so that we can live like that. That is part of nature. Mm -hmm. And so I just believe in following natural principles rather than creating these industries that only favor profit and destroy not just the land, but destroy the humans that they serve as well. Hakuna mm-hmm. Matata. That's what I say. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, that's, it's so important. And I am a meat eater, but I really try. I don't, I don't do very well at it, but I really do try to understand and make sure I know where my meat's coming from and only support local, again, local ranchers. We're so lucky here that we have um, ranchers that really take care of their animals from beginning to end, right? Really important. Um, I believe in that. Uh, I want to talk to you about, and tell me if I'm pronouncing it right, ayahuasca. Ayahuasca, absolutely. Okay. I want to talk to you about that. Um, But first, a quick message from today's sponsor. We'll be right back. Gourmet provisions and fine kitchenware, a cook's dream, all nestled in the culinarium in downtown Ashland, Oregon. Discover the latest in bakeware and cookware and timeless pieces to complete your kitchen collection. Unfold something new and fresh for your tabletop. Find all the essentials for your home bar. Stock your pantry with an array of gourmet goods, oils, salts, and specialty items. Shop the Culinarium from the comfort of your own home. Visit ashlandculinarium.com and discover the finest gourmet provisions and kitchenware. On your trip to Peru, right? This is where, did you know about this? Did you learn about it there? Tell me about it. Tell me the story. Mm. So ayahuasca came into my life um, 10 years before I actually got to sit with ayahuasca. I was um, watching a documentary on Netflix and it was called DMT, the spirit molecule. And <clears throat> I, at that time in my life, I was super curious. I was like searching just, you know, you can go to the paper researching. So I looked and I saw the video and they talked about all these ways you could access DMT, but ayahuasca stood out to me. And I remember saying, oh, I'm going to do that. And I waited. I said, I want to find the right opportunity. So what I did is I just kind of like waited over the years for it to come to me. In 2020, I was on Instagram and this woman shows up on my feed and she's talking about healing with ayahuasca. And I was like, what? And then I just knew that that was it. It was time. And so I signed up, went down to Peru for three weeks and my life was transformed forever. I cut my hair after that. <laughs> um, and um, I just 
started doing a lot of the release and healing work, but also um, ayahuasca in itself is a plant medicine and it's a drink that you take, like a kind of brewed drink. And um, in taking it, it reveals nothing that's necessarily new, but all the things that living has kind of covered up for you. And so you really get to get in touch with your source and, um, you know, shed everything that's no longer, you are no longer necessary for the journey. Wow. So you, and you, that's why you cut your hair? Like that's, was that part of it? That was part of it. Um, in my first, I did six ceremonies when I went down there for the first time. Um, and in the first ceremony, the plant showed me an image of myself bald. And I was like, oh no, I am not cutting my hair. <laughs> I refuse to cut my hair. Matter of fact, when you and I did the interview, I had already completed ayahuasca. I just hadn't cut my hair yet because that was resisting cutting my hair. Yeah. And I said to her, I was like, I don't think I need to cut my hair to like go through the transformation and tell you what, I'll cut a few ends. And I did, I cut a few ends and I left it down there. I like get, gave it to the earth and I left it down there. It's like, that's as much of a sacrifice I'm willing to make. And when I got back, I did all the other things that she told me to. But when I got back, um, you know, my hair, I was like, I'm married to my hair. I have been intentionally growing my hair to be like down my back. I, the, my hair care routine was like 30 minutes a day and probably two hours each week of like just maintenance and all this stuff. What she showed me was that the energy and intention that I put into my hair is the, the slowing me down from the energy and intention I could be putting into my work with a mindful plate. And I was just like, mm, no, I can do both. And she showed me how there would be times where I would be inspired to film something, but I wouldn't film it because my hair wasn't done. Yep. Is that resonating? And I said, oh, okay. So one day I got up, because it took me five months to actually make the cut. So one day I got up, and this is shortly after you and I interviewed, and I remember I just felt weighed down and I couldn't do what I needed to do. At that point, I had been like doing my things yeah. and being productive. And this time I was just stagnant. I was like, what's happening? And I go to the refrigerator because, you know, I must need a snack. <laughs> so I open the refrigerator door and I'm looking in the fridge and I heard this voice saying, you're not hungry. You need to cut your hair. And in that moment, I got it. I said, this is why she asked me to cut my hair. And so I got so present to what the cost was of having hair. Mm -hmm. For me, it was beauty. It was like very vanity, right? Like it was lovely. It was my hair. And like, I look so pretty in my videos when I do my hair. And I just love having hair when it's done. Um, and I love all the time I put into my hair. But in that moment, I realized that I was taking away time from my actual purpose, which is to transform the minds of how we eat, the way in which we eat. And I decided to do it that day. And do you know when I cut it? A week later, my YouTube channel got monetized. Stop it. Mm -mm, I'm so serious. And I wasn't due for monetization until about like four months later because monetization is about growth and numbers and all these things. And based at the rate I was growing, I wouldn't have hit that mark until about four months later. A week later, I got monetized. It's like I just experienced a jump in growth. And that's how I know that, you know, sometimes when you do work in the spiritual world, it it's 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 the spiritual world doesn't operate at the same time as the physical world. It's a different thing. And so sometimes it's just important to be obedient 
when you're called to do a thing, whether you understand it, whether you like it, go do the thing. Because there's there's a wisdom in, in following that that level of, of um, you know, instruction than the things that you tell yourself. So Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, for somebody for you, it was your hair. But for someone else, it's something else, right? It's this thing that's holding us back. And maybe the struggle is finding that thing. Maybe some of us know what it is already. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Which is, I'm telling you, on the other side. And the, the other thing, too, is I also, part of the reason, I was like, I don't think I'm going to look cute with, like, short hair. Oh, my God. I think I look so, you can see my face more. I think I look so adorable. And I love my hair. Now that I've experienced what it's like to wake up and literally take shade 30 minutes off my routine. Yeah. I don't want to go back anytime soon. Like, I love having long hair. and I'm sure I'll grow at one point. But during this phase of my life and what I, what the work that is coming out of me, it requires my head to be free. And so it wasn't just about the time. It was also about energetically, like hair holds memory. You know, this is why so many people when they're starting over, especially women, we cut our hair. I had never been that woman before, but a lot of women do that. And it's because you're literally starting over. And so energetically, I need to keep my headspace light so that it can be focused on what the work that we're doing now. Well, I will tell you this. I mean, I thought, you know, you with hair, stunning, beautiful. But when that first image of you popped up on Instagram with your short hair, it was yeah. like, it was like a spotlight, right? It was like, wow, like that. Yes. <laughs> Seriously. I was just like, I remember commenting. I'm like, oh my gosh, she cut her hair. I love it. And I like, uh, right. And so, I mean, uh, yeah, I think there is that. And women, especially we do have attachment to weird things like hair. Um, 19 and a half years being in the news business, my hair took a literal beating. And just now I've been out a year and a half and my hairdresser's like, we're just getting rid of all of that stress hair. All of it's like coming off. It's being cut. It's healthy for the first time, probably since I was 22 years old. Right. Because stress, it's the stress of, of that job. And it's like, you just get rid of all of that stuff. And I think it's important to, like you said, find find that thing that's that's holding you back and mm-hmm. cut it out. Cut it. Let cut it, it go. Ooh, let it go. I no love that story. Think. That's such a great story. Well, and then speaking of your subscribers, we hit on this. You're at twelve, almost 12,000 subscribers on your YouTube channel, The Mindful Plate. Um, when I talked to you a year ago, you were right around 2,000. I mean, what... What ha- I mean, I guess your reaction to that, what happened? Were you just like watching this grow every single day and like, wow. I was watching it grow every single day. And then I had, so I went back for another ayahuasca um, ceremony, plant medicine ceremony uh, in February of this, of this past year. Um, and again, following instructions, like after the first one, everyone's plant medicine journey is different, but for my plant medicine journey, I was told to go do certain things in my life. Right. So I left, I came back to the United States, did those things. And then I would call back again to finish some more work. And, um, while I was there, I remember saying, okay, Shelly, you're, you know, don't 
get too caught up in the YouTube because you're not going to be able to post on YouTube. You're not going to be able to like focus on commenting or anything on YouTube for this month because you're doing this work. I'm like tucked away in a sacred valley in Peru, up in the mountains, no internet. Well, there is internet, but it's like, you know what I'm saying? So basically put the electronics away and let's focus in, right? Do you know that without putting up any content, being there and because I'm in my like back end every day, like checking stuff, whatever, yeah. without being able to do any of that, I experience a $3,000, a 3,000 3, person jump in subscribers. And my income went up significantly as well for, for that time. I didn't do anything. I wasn't even on YouTube. And so these are the things in which I recognize, like when you follow the inner journey, you know, um, <laughs> they're, they're, they're that we do focus a lot on the algorithm. We do. Um, but the algorithm isn't the ultimate determining. Like what, what really determines is when you're making sure that you're following your inner source and being obedient to what it is you need to do. And so what I recognize is in that moment, even though I didn't touch it at all that month, because I have been diligent about putting up content and ensuring that I was feeding my people, literally, right? Mm-hmm. Feeding my subscribers and stuff that I know they're gonna like. Um, some videos will take off, you know, immediately. Some videos might take off a year later. You don't have any control over that. Nope. But the intent is to make sure that I'm putting out content that feeds people in their journey when they need it. So these are evergreen videos. And so it just so happened that while I was away doing my spiritual work, YouTube was having its own thing and my videos were being seen across the world. Woohoo! I'm so happy for you. That's amazing. That's absolutely yeah. incredible. And you said yeah. that to me last time, you know, if your social media feed isn't feeding you, you got, you have to cut that out. That's also stuck with me. I've said that to a lot of people where they're like, <laughs> and I'm like, I cannot take credit for those words. That is Shelly Chapman. You can follow her on YouTube or on Instagram. <laughs> uh, but no, I think that's, I think that's incredible. Yeah, we do, we do set up, if you are putting content out there, in my opinion, if you're putting mm-hmm. up content that's important to you and it means something to you and it takes off or it doesn't, who cares, right? Who cares? Right. Who cares? It's not, because that's not, at that point, then you're, you know, getting into vanity metrics. And at the end of the day, like, what is your, what is your content for? If it's for you, then fine, like have a channel and be clear about that. Like I'm just putting up stuff I like and I want. But if you're here on a mission and you're here to support and help other people in their journey, then understand that people are going to reach that point in their journey at different points. And also there could be someone who's 10 years old right now who may not need it till they're 15, right? So you have to wait five years for, for that person who, who will need your video to then be able to access it. And they could be linked to 20,000 other people. But sometimes it takes five years to, to make that impact. It doesn't matter how long it takes. It just matters that the impact is created. I agree. Someone mentioned to me the other day, they watched one of my interviews on my podcast that I did like a year and a half ago. And they said, yeah. I got so much good stuff out of that. And I just, I patted myself on the back and I was like, this is why I'm doing it, right? This is why I'm doing it because- I am the, I feel like I'm the conduit. I'm sharing your message. People who don't necessarily may not know about you. I'm sharing that with people so they can know about you. And maybe you say one thing in this, whatever, hour long interview that's going to hit them and change them and push that button. That's why I do it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Let's talk about mozzarella cheese. (laughs) Oh my God. So good. Um, I just saw this the other day. 
it's it on your YouTube channel. It's vegan mozzarella cheese. And I just like clicked on it. And then I didn't want to because I wanted to talk to you about it. So I was like, nope, save it. Save it for the interview. <laughs> so where'd this idea come from? Vegan mozzarella cheese. All right. So one of the things I've noticed is in my plant-based journey, cheese has been the hardest thing. Cheese is the reason why I cheat. Cheese is the reason why I step out of my plant bus lover and be like, I'm sorry, I got to go back. <laughs> figured out meat. I have figured out vegan baking, like sugar-free, all these things. I figured it out. Cheese was the last bit. I got butter. I had ice cream. I even had milk. I had yogurt, but cheese. So um, I was going to the store buying all the cheeses and I was always disappointed because to me, they were one step up above from Kraft Singles. And no offense to anybody who loves Kraft Singles or Velveeta, that's your jam, that's your jam. But for me, I was a European imported cheese type of sister. And that's what I wanted, <laughs> that flavor. So if I was, if it wasn't hitting that, and the only one that came close was, God bless her soul, Miyoko's. Yeah. Have you ever had Miyoko's? She, she was a cheese maker. So she, she brings that artisan, right? And then there's a few other folks who are like in local markets. Like there's this one cheesemaker in Chicago and in New York, but they're not everywhere. Mm -hmm. So I was like, something got to give. So I went online and I found this book, Dare, One Hour Dairy-Free Cheats. And Lucero, I think is like her last name. I don't remember the author's last name. And I was like, oh my God, she has every cheese in there, everything. And what I liked about it was that it literally takes one hour. And I was like, okay, let's so I bought the book. And in my own kitchen, I was making her cheeses, trying them. And I said, oh, this hits the spot. So I decided that I'm going to start making videos, sharing the cheese recipes. I don't share the con the uh, measurements at all. I just show the process. And then I tell people, if you want this, go buy this book. Because everything for, for me, it's not about my recipes. Right. The Mindful channel isn't about Shelly's recipes. I have a lot of my stuff on there, but it's really about Here's this resource I found. This person knows how to do it well. Go support and go get your taste buds right because it it melts, it stretches, and and she understands the home cook. You know, she's a, she was an artisan cheesemaker, right. so she's bringing that into the kitchen. And then what I love about her book, she has substitutes for everything because everyone's not going to have say like lactic acid in their um, pantry. I do because I love the, you know, <laughs> but everyone's not going to have it. So she'll show you like, okay, well add onion powder instead, because that can bring that, that particular taste. Um, so yeah, that's how that came about. Cause I kept cheating. And every time I cheated, my gut was like, girl, yeah, what the hell did you send down here? You want me to process this? Right. Okay. But it's not going to be nice. <laughs> it's not going to be pretty. <laughs> Um, yeah, your gut always knows. I actually wrote this down. I do love your YouTube channel because it is recipes, but there's also tips and like your testimonials. Like here's my journey. And yeah. again, you never know when people pop on to find the mozzarella cheese recipe, right? That they click right. on something else and go, wait, what's this? And you just started a journey for someone. Yes, I'm so glad you said that because that's exactly how I envision the YouTube channel. Because mm -hmm. ultimately, I I did want to talk about the journey and and the tips and like the mindful eating habits, but I recognize that most people, including myself, didn't know this will be needed. We all generally start with the recipes. We try to change. We recognize, okay, I need to change something, so we change our plates. But then we change our plates and we realize that I'm still feeling this way. What's happening? So sometimes you do need to hear about the journey, but you're not, you may not start looking how to have a healthy, you know, plant-based journey or whatever, but you might start with like, what's a, what's a vegan mozzarella cheese? So that's how I bring them in. Let me, let me feed you. Let me, let me bring you to yep. the feast. 
come eat with me. Yeah. And then when you come eat with me and you sit at my table, I have some soul food for you, you know? Have some food for your mind, some food for thought. Let me feed you this too. And I pray that when you're in the kitchen making these recipes, when you sit down to eat, you are thinking about your presence and your spirit when you sit down to eat. Like what energy are you bringing to the food? Are you busy? Are you double doing it by watching TV or talking on the phone or scrolling while you're eating? You're missing an opportunity to connect with the most important on the planet, which is you. I completely agree with you. Um, And I think, you know, I just mentioned it, but I think we all have buttons on us and certain people, certain situations, certain experiences push different buttons on you. So Mm -hmm. just because they find this great recipe, let's say for mozzarella cheese, it doesn't mean that they're going to be plant-based tomorrow, but you pushed a button, right? You've pushed this button to go, okay, let me look into this a little bit more. And then someone else, some other experiences pushes another button. And so I just believe that that's our job, I think, as humans is to push (laughs) buttons in a positive way when you meet someone, right? Whether it's kindness or an experience Mm -hmm. or an interview or a recipe, like I just, I feel like we, we push buttons. Yes, exactly. Well, um, you will be proud of me because, well, so much of your interview has stuck with me, obviously, over the last year. But um, we talked a lot about eating feelings the last interview. And that's really where kind of your journey started. Um, That's right. Everybody go listen to the interview. I'm not going to tell you anymore. It aired (laughs) last April. It's on my YouTube channel. But um. I tend to eat my feelings occasionally sometimes, but I do, I'm aware of it. And I'm like, I am eating my feelings today. I'll not do that tomorrow. Last (laughs) night, I was not feeling so hot, kind of really tired, exhausted. And I'm like, oh, I could easily just go grab something or make box mac and cheese. And then I knew I had this interview today. So I made a salad. Oh, oh my God. You know, this is this. I oh, I love it. This is so important. When I'm when I'm teaching this, so in addition to the mindful plate, uh, which we've been talking about the YouTube channel, I also uh, have the Mindful Nutrition School, which is my online like yes. um, learning platform where I teach people the mindful eating habits. And I have a lot of students who are challenged with emotional eating. And what I always get them present to is I have this acronym called Eat to Live right? Instead of living to eat. Because when you're emotional eater, you just live and eat. Let me get that back. Let me get the cupcake. The eat to live, the L stands for listen for your hunger. The I stands for envision yourself. Now I know envision is spelled E-N-V-I, but in this one, I do it I in. I want you to go inside and I want you to see the vision that you have for your life, even for the next day. And in that moment, that's what you did. You went inside and you said, I have this interview tomorrow. Like I want to be, this interview is going to live forever, but I also want to be at my best tomorrow. So if I eat this box mac and cheese, will that, will that lend to me being like, will that lend to, you know, being like her best interview self? No, let me try something different. And so I think sometimes like when we, when we, we lean on our emotions a lot, obviously, especially as women, but sometimes it is helpful to lean into a vision. And have that vision help you decide the woman that you're going to be in that moment, the choices you're going to be in that moment. Mm -hmm. I completely agree. And I was very proud of myself. And then ultimately, I was like, you know, that's not going to actually make me feel better. It's going to make it's going to make something feel good because it's Right. right. But at the end, at the end of it, it's not going to make my gut feel better. 
And so, yeah, I was very proud of myself. But I will tell you, you've been in my head a lot. Like when I'm making certain choices, especially like traveling or, you know, when I'm here by myself and I could, because my husband works 48 hour shifts when I'm here by myself and I could, could totally eat whatever I want. Um, <laughs> I just don't. I'm like, what would Shelly do? What would Shelly do? <laughs> I love hearing this because so many people tell me that. And I'm like, it's working. It's working. Yeah. I want to be ahead. Like if I could find a way when you open the refrigerator, just kind of be like, hey, girl. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's my goal. Like, I, I but it does it helps. It does help to have those little tidbits in the back because sometimes left to our own devices, you know, um, we can be self-destructive. Sure. We're like, we don't mean to, right? But it's just, it's part of the human experience in which like when you're not feeling your best, sometimes it's hard to bring yourself out. So you need the support of someone else to be like, hey girl, you can make a different choice. Let's get you a paid sponsorship with like Kenmore. We'll have a hologram of Shelly when you open the fridge and it's just like, hey girl, nope, mm -mm." right? Or like different messages, different like- Different, like, positive, yeah. supportive message when you open your refrigerator. Okay, I'll call my people at Kenmore. We'll get this going. Call your people. <laughs> Let's talk. I love this. <laughs> um, seriously, though, I have a uh, dietitian friend. Um, she does very, like, kind of Mediterranean Greek. Like, that's – well, she is Greek. But she that's kind of, like, her, her love of food. But she helps people um, be healthier. And she mm-hmm. was applauding – you mostly, um, but just saying thank you so much for having her on your podcast because eating your feelings is a real thing. I see it all the time in my clients. So she was like, to you. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank um, you. We're going we're gonna to try and wrap up a little bit, but it's hard with you because I just love t- chatting with you so much. I don't have I'm a saying. sweet tooth. How do you fill your sweet tooth? I'm lucky. I don't really have, I don't crave like sugary things. I don't, I'm yeah. not saying that you do, but how do you, how do you fill that sweet tooth? Oh, I definitely did. I definitely um, crave sugary things a lot. The more work I did on my emotional eating, the more I was able to realize that all the sugary things I was really craving were really about feeling lonely. Um, and sugar felt like an internal hug, right? So I started actually, you know, um, getting what myself what I needed outside of food. However, when I still do want something sweet, what I also realized was helpful was I started substituting with maple syrup coconut sugar and maple sugar. Yes, they cost more. But for me, I tell everybody, do you want to pay a little bit more at the store or do you want to pay for a new liver? It's that simple. Livers run about 300,000, 500,000. I mean, it's really up to you. So so that's how I also think about it. And the the maple and the coconut sugar does a a lot better job. and then I also, to help with this, something something practical, and this will be a tip that someone could use. I used to start my day off with pancakes, uh, sweet cereals, biscuits, like muffins, all the sweeter side of things. I realized that when I started my day off with that, that's all I wanted for the rest of the day. That set the tone. Because at a biological level, that's the bacteria that I fed in my stomach. Yep. So when I sent that, not my stomach, my intestines. So when I sent that down to my gut, that's who got this. They were like, hey, feed me more, see more. Like they just kept asking for more. They were greedy. So then I said, okay, um, when I got present that that that's what was happening, I decided to switch and start my day off with bitter and then savory. 
So bitter, that means that I'm having bitter green juices. You know, a lot of times people do green smoothies, but they still to be, they're still on the sweeter side. They just happen to be the color green. I took out the fruits and I started focusing on citrus because it's a cleanser. And I would add things like aloe and dandelion and kale. And I would add some mint because Lord child, <laughs> that's a mouthful to swallow. So the mint helps. But I, but I, I, <laughs> I, I allowed my, my, my intestines to wake up to that. Yep. And so that became the governing bacteria, if you will. And then about an hour later, I would have something savory, like an avocado toast, or, you know, you could do avocado with egg, whatever. Um, and so that would allow me to reset my taste buds and also reset my gut. So I didn't have the cravings. So that's something that I found was super, super helpful to deal with sugar cravings. But again, if you are craving, despite all that, switch your sugars because white sugar is um, creating an experience in the brain, a neurological connection in the brain that makes you want more. It operates like a drug. Right. And also be careful of sort of those jarred pasta sauces, for instance, or sauces in general. They have so much sugar in them. So you feel like oh, I'm just putting some jarred sauce on these steamed veggies. No, you're not. It's a lot of sugar in those. And that's when I started to really focus on cutting out sugar. You'll be surprised at what you find. You just make your own. I mean, honestly. Just Absolutely. And this is where y'all need to follow Trish on Instagram and look at all the lovely meals that she, <laughs> just, just drool worthy meals that she makes because she makes her sauces and you just like, what? But you see how easy it is. Like, that's what I love about your videos. Like, I see how easy it is to actually make a sauce from scratch rather than, I mean, we've been trained to go to the store, but you know, once you untrain yourself and you just stock up on the right things, always have some good onions, some garlic, you know, there you go. Just, the of stuff in the fridge. And as long as you have a blender or food processor, you got sauce, baby. Exactly. I completely agree. One of my favorite um, wineries around here, they have pizza. Their tomato sauce is literally canned tomatoes, good canned tomatoes mm-hmm. uh, and salt. Perfect. I mean, literally, I put gar- I put raw garlic in mine, but like just mm-hmm. that. That's it. You're talking about three ingredients. If you're using really good quality ingredients, you don't need a bunch of stuff in there to make it taste really good. And that's the only reason they add the sugar, because we know that the tomatoes they're using probably were picked before they were peak. Yeah. Tomatoes at peak have a natural sweetness. You don't need it. At all. Oh, my gosh. No, not at all. (laughs) Um, We could talk about food all day long, um, but uh, Shelly Chapman, I am going to wrap this up a little bit, but I did want to ask you last time we talked, um, I left the interview and I was like, I just love her. And I joked, I said, when I asked you your best advice you've ever been given, it was from your mom. And she said, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? And it's something that I have said that for years. I say it to myself all the time. I say it to friends. I say it to family because it is so easy to get overwhelmed. Is that still, you think, your best advice? Uh, It's part of it, but I would add another one. Okay. So you know how we always say, I'm going to kill two birds with one stone, right? And it's just the same. After ayahuasca plant medicine, I got really present to the power of language and how we use it and how there are things that we say because it's just been said culturally or generationally in our family. But what you like, what are you really saying? And I thought about it, I was like, oh my God, I don't want to kill two birds with a stone. <laughs> cool. 
And a friend said, well, we can feed two birds with one seed. And I said, so now I say that all the time. We're going to feed two birds with one seed. And so I love that because a lot of times it is easier to just take one thing and be able to do all the things with it. It's like, yeah, we're going to feed two birds with one seed. So um, that's, that's been like just changing up, you know, how we say things, because at the end of the day, you know, um, people are listening, whether it's your children that you have, or, you know, um, if you believe in the universe, the universe is listening. And so um, what do you actually want? Your words are creating that. I agree. In fact, I talk to the universe quite a bit and I'm like, hey, this is what I want for myself this year. And I just will say it out loud. Let's make mm-hmm. it happen. Let's make it happen, universe. It happen. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Shelly Chapman, as usual, you are an absolute joy. And I love just popping onto your YouTube channel, The Mindful Plate, everyone. Uh, go subscribe because I do get so many, um, so much inspiration because when I'm feeling like a day I want to eat plants, I'm like, who, where am I going to go to find some? Oh, I know. Shelly. Shelly will tell me. So thank you for that. Oh, you're so welcome. And thank you for this platform. Thank you for doing what you do. Thank you for bringing, um, thank you for expanding the culinary voice. Um, I know for a long time it was just stuck in the kitchen, but I appreciate that you're bringing on like um, not only makers, but like people who are thinking differently around, you know, our relationship with food and how we eat as a, as a world, as a community. So thank you for bringing that to the forefront. Thank you for teaching me today that I, from now on, I'm going to eat with intent, mindful eating, everybody. been listening to Hungry for More, an Epicurean's Dilemma with me, Trish Glose. Today's episode sponsored by The Culinarium, Gourmet Provisions, and Fine Kitchenware. You can watch this podcast and subscribe on my YouTube channel. Just search Hungry for More. You can also listen and subscribe wherever you like to listen to podcasts.